0: Luke chapter 13 is where we're at. Welcome, glad to see you this morning. So I have a true or false question for you to kick things off. Good things come in small packages. True or false? Okay. All the short people in the room said, amen, finally, finally I get my due and Ben's laughing the loudest. I'm not sure what that's about. So think about this, how many of you, just not by show of hands, but just how many of you are are really happy when the biggest box under the tree has your name on it, yeah. right? I mean, like, like that's something, I think that's hardwired into some of us from childhood. Um, anyone ever been completely tricked by having it be a giant box, but what was actually inside was not really all that big at all? Anyone have that happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Good things come in small packages is a, a phrase we use. And, and as we look at the text this morning, here's, here's what could have been being talked about. Jesus could have been referring to the first Christmas, to his, to his actual birthday, when he shares what he says today, which is that good things come in small passages. Our passage this morning, we're staying in Luke because our passage this morning is like this perfect Christmas uh, passage. Christmas begins in Bethlehem, small, uh, and and forever proclaims this truth, that God things show up in small packages. God things show, show up in small packages. We've been working our way through Luke. Luke is one of four biographical accounts of Jesus. Now, they're not just stats and facts about Jesus, right? These are Pictures And when you take them as a composite picture, we actually get to see a sense of who Jesus Was when he was here on earth and it provides for us Evidence it provides for us reasons to place our trust in Jesus Christ So as we read these as we engage with these We are all interacting with the evidence and interacting with his claims interacting with his lifestyle interacting with his words and the fact that this morning almost 2020 and we are here reading and studying the words that are recorded of jesus the events that surround the life of jesus is a living illustration we are all here participating in the fulfillment of what jesus describes in the text this morning Pilate was a first century governor and he did this same thing he interacted with jesus not in written form but in personal form and um and he, he's asking this question, who was this Jesus? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Now, then, as now, Jesus causes division. Jesus is a polarizing kind of individual. He's brought before Pilate, and Pilate asks this question. He says, you are a king then. And Jesus describes that he's a king with a kingdom that's not of this world, listen to John chapter 1835, where it says this, Pilate talking: "Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders and my king, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Trying to ascertain who is this, who is this guy? What are the claims Jesus is making? Listen to his reply. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born. Merry Christmas. And came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that uh, what I say is true. And then Pilate asks this fascinating question that's echoed throughout ages. Right? He responds with this What is truth? So Jesus spent a lot of time discussing and talking about the kingdom of God. And when he goes to trial, that whole theme is brought up. What's nailed above his cross as he dies? Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now that was put there in mockery, um, but as you sort of see the whole picture unfold, these few verses we're going to look at this morning become all the more powerful and potent. Here's what's interesting. All of us have an idea and an ideal about what kings should be like, about what kingdoms should be like and could be like, we also all have experience of what different rulers, kings, authorities are actually like and what ru- ruling governors uh, and and systems actually are. So we're going to look at that this morning. The, the, I had a professor at uh, Sounds like Christian. He constantly said this, context is king. Context is king. What does that mean? It means that where you are reading something in the Bible gives giant implication to what it means. So where the text is helps clue you into what it means. This morning, our short little text starts with a single word that ought to always prompt us to read before it. It's the word therefore. Luke chapter 13, verse 18, first word is therefore. So therefore helps us understand what's it mean. Jesus is linking something. He's linking these two little parables, these two little short stories that teach to something that just occurred prior to that. So what was that? By way of review, people come to Jesus and they're absolutely astonished that bad things are happening to good people. We looked at this last week. This is a really common thing. Why do bad things happen to good people? And what Jesus does is he flips their astonishment. And he redirects. He said, you should be amazed. You should marvel. But don't marvel that bad things are happening to good people. Instead, marvel that all of the good that goes on to bad people. So be astonished of why on earth do good things happen to bad people. He uses this occasion to teach these truths. That when, bad things, when good things happen to bad people... Uh, It ought to indicate to us this. Sinning is not allowed. And yet all of us, if we were to review just the past seven days, sins of commission, things we committed and did that were wrong, and sins of omission, things we really should have done, but we never got around to it, or we just overlooked it, or it was too hard or too inconvenient. That people go on sinning, and yet judgment is stayed. That's the first truth. The second truth is this, that every day that judgment is held off is a day of salvation. Every day that judgment is held off is a day of salvation. It shows off the character of God who is merciful and patient. He is gifting you every single day that you wake up. Congratulations, you just open a present called time He is gifting you another day to wake up and run to him. Live in the protection and provision that God provides. So that's where he's been going. And he links these two ideas in the way and the timing of God. He's now going to describe the kingdom of God. But it's so important that we look back on these bad current events that people brought to him and the timing of God. Eugene Peterson wrote this great book called Tell It Slant. He says this, when it comes to doing something about what is wrong in the world, Jesus is best known for his fondness for the minute, the invisible, the quiet, the slow, yeast, salt, seeds, light, and as we looked at last week, manure. Today are two short little pictures when you think about the scriptures and you open your Bible to read, you ought to realize that like a loving parent, everything given to us in God's word has intent behind it. So sometimes when you open the Bible and read, um, there is sometimes a command to obey. Hear me really clearly. Parents, it's important for us to link our commands to our great love and care and provision and protection of our children. It is so important to, to issue commands and let it be seen out of the character, our great love for them. So sometimes you open the Bible, there's a command to obey. Sometimes you open the Bible and there is a warning to heed. Don't. Stop. Do. Go. Hurry. Slow down. There's some warning that's there, and we are to heed it. Let me give you a really clear picture of this morning, okay? It's not a command to follow. There's not a warning to heed. Instead, there is just something to know, okay? So this morning is just, I just want to offer you what I believe Jesus is trying to teach us, which is, here's something to know. Now, out of that knowledge comes all kinds of activity and action, which we're not going to have time to kind of get into today. But Jesus is letting us in on what to expect with kingdom kinds of ways. So Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 18, follow along with me. We're just going to look at a few verses. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. But like a seed, the kingdom of God grows outward and upward. Now, much has been said about the mustard seed, which is one of the tiniest of all seeds, but you take a any seed, and, and in general, that seed is rather small in comparison to what it will become, right? It's this itty little bitty thing, um, and it is unimpressive. It's often stepped on. We walk all over seeds without thinking about it. It's uninspiring, and very few people have their wedding photos next to a seed, right or or they they don't they just don't photograph seeds very often unless it's illustrating something else so think about this for a second where is the might where is the power of the seed the power of a seed when you take a seed and you hold it in your hand the power is in its potential the power is in its future right The kingdom of God is like a seed. We hold it, and at first it just doesn't look like that much, but its power is in the potential of what comes when the kingdom of God shows up. Placed in the right soil, given the right climate, and given enough time, that seed contains all that it needs to become an impressive tree, such that birds would come and nest in the tiniest of seeds. All of a sudden that seed becomes something impressive it becomes inspiring it becomes photograph worthy people take pictures of all kinds of trees now what is the world's most impressive trees it's the redwood and I want to just uh show you a picture we were up at Hume Lake this last year some of the staff got to got to go up to a, a, a pastor's retreat up at Hume Lake and this is um this is us up near Sequoia National Park and um and this is actually a very, very staged picture. This is, this is a little bit more accurate of, of who your staff are here at this church. Now the oldest living redwoods is said to be nearly 2,500 years old. Which means this, that that tree would have been a seedling during the Roman Empire. You know that trees are impressive when we name them, right? This is an impressive kind of thing. Here's a couple of named redwood trees. The tallest tree is named Hyperion. It's located in a a remote part of the forest. It stands 379.9 feet tall. That means nothing to us. Let me put it in perspective. I've never seen it in person, but I've seen pictures. I'm sure it's much grander in in real, real life. But the Statue of Liberty, okay? Let the tree grow up to the Statue of Liberty. Then, once you're at the very top, keep growing... And grow for another 60 feet. That's how tall this tree is. Let me give you the largest living known specimen on earth. It's General Sherman. It lives four hours from us. And by volume, it is, it is the largest uh, living organism. Now let me prove to you the very point that I am trying to make this morning. That the kingdom of God starts small and is easily missed. I'm sitting in my office sometime earlier this week. I'm not even sure what day it was, but I thought, hmm. I think it would be really powerful to show the pine cone of a redwood so that we could kind of get the scale between what a redwood starts off at and what it ends up at. And so I thought in my mind, I thought, I wonder if I have time this week at some point to drive over to Henry Cal State Park. That's where my family and I like to go and walk amongst the redwoods. Millions of visitors come there every year. I say that this illustrates our, my point because upon further reflection, every single day, I drive into this parking lot, and guess what I do? I drive over redwood pine cones. We have redwood trees right here on our grounds. And so light bulb, I'm like, wow, this is the point. The seat is unimpressive. The seed is right there in our midst. The kingdom is in our midst. It's driven by, it's trampled on, and it's unnoticed. It's forgotten and it's it's ignored, but it is present and powerful nonetheless. Now, here's what's super powerful. I have a redwood tree right here with me, up here, okay? Here's a redwood tree in my pocket. Uh, Actually, what this is, um, and and actually, I, I, I brought this. Here's what's even more. I am holding a redwood grove of trees. A whole impressive grove of trees that you would get married under, that you would photograph, that people would travel from around the world to come and see. And actually what I'm holding, think about a redwood tree. Go to the Statue of Liberty. Let the tree creep growing 60 feet taller. And this is actually a little condominium of redwood tree seeds. It's just the pine cones just holding about a half dozen or, or dozen seeds. So, the kingdom of God is like a seed. The planted in the ground is able to grow upward and outward. And that's Jesus' point. Here's the second one. Like yeast, the kingdom of gro- God grows inward and through. The kingdom of God grows inward and through. Now, we wanted to discover uh, an age old secret. Uh, that we thought would be really powerful and potent to to know and that is this how much yeast are in stan's donuts so so we sent uh we sent an an on-site pastor to go check this out i am here at stan's donuts in santa clara to learn about yeast All right, I'm here with Jose at Stan's. Jose, tell us, uh, what is yeast? So yeast is one of the many ingredients that we use for our dough to make our dough spice you, know, you, know, you know, big and fluffy. Oh, okay, so yeast makes, makes dough big and fluffy. How much yeast does it take to, to take a chunk of dough and, and make it rise? Uh, not very much. You take a few little pinches, just sprinkle it on there, even with a little bit of yeast and a, you know, a little bit of flour and dough, because it makes the rice up you know, right away. Wow. Jose, why does yeast make Stan's donuts taste so fantastic? Because once it's incorporated, you give us the answer. That's the best taste in donuts, right? I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I'll let you explain. (laughs) Make Stan's donuts, donuts, Stan's donuts, donuts. Yeast! Thank you, Ben. Now, we thought, we thought, you know, what better way to teach this than to actually taste it? So we have some servants coming down right now. Uh, it would actually be cruel and unusual punishment to show videos of Stan's donuts being made without you having the opportunity to feast on the yeast. So you are all allowed to take one donut and, and enjoy, enjoy this living lesson here this morning. Now, unfortunately, I can't preach while eating a donut, so I'm just going to be up here salivating while you do this. Yeah. You guys were a little dead, so we just brought a little sugar rush into the mix. (laughs) The kingdom of God is like yeast, so it grows inward and through. Yeah. (laughs) You know, here's what, here's what's happening right now in your mouth. Okay. Listen, try to, try to grab with me even while you're eating it. Here's what's happening right now in your mouth is that you are celebrating, your mouth is, excel- is, is celebrating the results of that yeast. Right? Like, but you never go to Stan's donuts and say, let's all get some yeast. Like no one has ever said that ever. But you go and you experience the results of what that yeast produces, and, and you really are celebrating, actually, this, this key component, and the kingdom of God is like that. You know, Christmas is this yearly reminder that it is the way of God to begin something great in a small, tiny, imperceptible, at times invisible kind of way. And then it also just confounds human understanding. I mean, we can't understand that like a couple pinches of this powerful, potent thing called yeast takes all that dough and allows it to rise, allows it to permeate the entire lump of dough, as Jesus said. I wanna just walk through four things. You're gonna have really sticky fingers now so uh, you can use the, the the Kleenex that's in front of you um, to, to kind of wipe that down or use your napkin. But if you wanna jot these things down, you can. If not, just, just think with me for a moment and you could come up with your own as well. But what comforts and lessons can we glean from the fact that the kingdom of God is like seeds? The kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast. Here's four thoughts. Here's number one, okay? Not at this moment, but when church seems dull, Okay. Church is never dull when you're eating stands donuts in the middle of church. But when your church life seems dull, when your just everyday life seems dull and unimpressive and unspectacular and there's nothing to post, everyone else is, 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 you know, tweeting their pastor, everyone else is posting things of their life and you're like, I look around, there's nothing to post. Nothing's postworthy in my life. When all is unspectacular, when it seems dull that's going on in your life, Remember, God is at work. A seed in the ground. Yeast being worked through the dough and left overnight. God is at work even in the boring, the dull, the unspectacular. Here's number two. Do not despise the small. We are wired, we are trained, and this culture just hyper-glamorizes everything to these these grotesque, bizarre, unnatural largeness of everything. Do not despise the small. Think about Christmas, baby in a food dish, like an animal food dish. Sounds like a redneck Christmas, right? Like Like that's just, that's how the whole thing got started. And when we read about Jesus, when we have an understanding of who we celebrate, we just sang these lyrics this morning, that these prophecies were true when baby seed Jesus was born, when pinch of yeast Jesus was born in a tiny out-of-the-way place. Ready? Here's here's Isaiah 9-2, that the people will see a great light starts off as a seed. Isaiah 63, that nations will come to your light and kings to your shining brightness. Little tiny seed, starting point. Isaiah 65, the wealth of nations will come to you, King Jesus. And in John 1, we have John the Baptist starting Jesus's public ministry, and he points out Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. And Jesus comes on as the true light, listen to this phrasing, that gives light to everyone. Everyone's a lot of people. Everyone is a lot of people. Now here's what's powerful to think about. Even when Jesus was at his most popular, even when Jesus was at his absolute pinnacle greatness on earth, How big was Jesus? How many people actually recognized who Jesus was? How many posted things about Jesus? Do not despise the small. God is at work. Here's number three. Remember that God delights in the ordinary. If God delights in the ordinary, we all have reason to say praise God for that. But it also leads us to delight in the ordinary. Again, we just live in a culture that wants to overlook the ordinary and raise up the superstars. Who is Abraham? Who is the nation of Israel? Who is Jesus? Who was the church? Who were fishermen? Who were the washed-up old people that God kept using to birth babies and start nations and begin a movement? When you look at it from a human perspective, most of what God has done through church history has been accomplished in the ordinary. So do not overlook the ordinary. God delights in the ordinary. Listen to this language from 1 Corinthians 1.27. But God chose. God wasn't forced into it. God didn't take the leftovers. God said, I can choose anyone. Here's what he chose. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So if you feel foolish, if you feel weak, if you feel low and despised and that you're nothing, look out. You are the right soil. You are the right climate for that seed to take root and to begin to grow. So remember, God delights in the ordinary. And here's the fourth thing. The kingdom of God, when I say that, it's it's his work, his ways, his miracles, his timetable are not only not accepted by most people, but the kingdom of God is not recognized by by most people. So parents, I hope you're training your kids this way. I hope you're training yourself this way. Why does it feel like everyone is counter to me on this point? Why does it feel like I'm not celebrating what everyone else is celebrating? Why am I such an oddball at these settings? And instead of saying, you know what, maybe I should acclimate, maybe I should move towards, maybe they're right. You ought to read the scriptures, and you ought to remember that when Jesus, who did this whole thing perfectly and modeled it for us, most not only didn't accept what he had to say, but they didn't recognize at all his greatness. God's reign and rule are like yeast. As it extends and permeates to every aspect of society, the whole world is eventually touched by God's transforming power. Isn't it an awesome thought to think that we gather and wonder at Bethlehem, at a manger, at a star, at all these components of what's going on with the Christmas story, and we, we come in the company of people through the ages, and we come in the company of people throughout the whole world. It's a powerful thing that we're doing this morning, We're coming and celebrating with the whole community of people. Let me give you one example from Scripture. Think about the idea. Romans says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, you will be saved, right? So think about this. Confessing with your mouth, saying out of your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Three little words takes you barely a second to say. That's seed like. That's a pinch of yeast like. But think about Jesus is Lord and its power to transform, okay? Start with just yourself. That if you wake up in the morning and you just celebrate, you just say, Jesus is Lord. And that begins to start off your day. And that begins to actually set off a chain reaction of how you interact. Isn't it true that if Jesus is Lord in your life, your life begins to be utterly transformed? I mean, all of you begins to be transformed. Your thoughts, what you find funny, what you find distasteful, what you pursue, what you notice, what completely skips by your attention, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you interact with people, how you see people. It affects the inner dialogue of what's going on in your brain right now. Jesus is Lord is utterly transforming it permeates the whole loaf lump of dough Now that's just you How does Jesus is Lord? Change your relationships You're meeting with a friend that you're catching up with and you just you just Have this reality that Jesus is Lord in this conversation How does it change your marriage? How does it change your parenting? How does it change your friendships how does it change the way that you interact with people at work, your boss, your teachers? How does it change the way that you interact with people you don't even know? Jesus as Lord is utterly transforming to relationships. We could go on and on with this. Let me do one more. As kingdom people who are actively spreading God's reign and rule into every segment of society... Think of how our county, our country, our world would change as Christians who live, Jesus is Lord. They've already been transformed. Their homes are being transformed. Their whole network of relationships are being transformed. And they bring all of that to their vocation. How are the arts transformed? By Jesus is Lord. How is business transformed when people, kingdom people, are living that Jesus is Lord? How are politics and policies transformed? How is manufacturing transformed? How is education transformed? Do you see this? I mean, this permeates every nook and cranny of our culture and society. That little faithfulness, Jesus is Lord, transforms and touches Everything. Now, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this. For the kingdom of God. So here's Paul picking up on this theme, kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. You might be saying, like I was thinking as I thought this through, just saying Jesus is Lord by repetition does what? Nothing. On its own, it just makes you potentially a hypocrite, makes you super obnoxious hey good morning Dave how are you Jesus is Lord let's get talking that's so weird what are you talking about the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk so it's not rote repetition that you just keep saying this if we confess with our mouth and what believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead right if we live by the spirit's power then those three little words it's like it unlocks the power of what the seed contains Dallas Willard said this I love this quote The result of teaching what Jesus did in the way uh, that he did doesn't result in bigger churches. It results in bigger Christians, at least at first. So this is not a message. It's not an idea that we shouldn't have massive churches. I I would love that we had massive churches. But if it was ever massive churches or churches filled with kingdom people, real Christians, we would always want the small over the big. So what we're looking to do as we live as Jesus lived, as we learn the way Jesus taught us to learn, is that we want to become bigger Christians. When you take these two ideas together, seed and yeast, it teaches us that God's kingdom grows in both visible and invisible ways. It also prepares our heart to watch for this compounding effect. That little tiny faithfulness over and over and over have huge implications, but they won't be that impressive for a while. This is why churches, we ought to be learning from people who have lived the Christian life way longer than us. We see things, we go, man, I want that kind of thing. How did you get so good at not being a rageaholic? How are you so good at putting other people first? The honest, humble Christian will say this. Man, that's been daily practice. It's been daily living by the the, the kingdom power in me. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, is grilled by the Pharisees on when the kingdom would come. And he answered this way. Listen carefully. The kingdom of God doesn't come by counting the days on the calendar. Nor when someone says, look here, or there it is. And why? Catch this. Because God's kingdom is already among you. God's kingdom is already among you. Even the impressive redwood tree, I drove right by. It's on our church grounds. Why? Because it's familiar. I think the redwood tree is my favorite tree of all. And once in a while, I walk out there and I admire it. I look at it. I think, wow, how spectacular. But most days, because it's so present, it's so ever-present, I drive right by without marveling, without taking notice. And when I go to say, hmm, I should get a redwood seed, wouldn't that be a powerful? I think I need to drive over the hill somewhere. Man, all of this preaches to me. I don't know if you're getting it, but I'm getting it. All right, here's how we're going to close. We're going to close with seven things. That either you can call this growing with God, if you prefer the seed analogy, or cooking with Christ. Whichever one fits better for you. If you like the yeast analogy, and that's more your bent, then cook with Christ. If not, we're going to grow with God. And here's how we do it. I'm going to give you seven things. And all of these are just meant as, um, hopefully, like conversation starters. Like, just in your own mind, what else could there be? God's power shows up in visible, tree, and invisible, bread, bread kinds of ways both require the right environment to expand and unleash their power both start small and grow exponentially and both require time and a long view so here we go number one on on how to let the kingdom grow is quite simply let it alone let it alone remember last week last week jesus tells this parable where there's there's this tree it's not producing fruit and the the, the word is chop it down get it out of there, it's using up ground. And the vine dresser comes and says these words, let it alone, let it alone. Isn't it true that if you're teaching elementary-aged kids, we have a little garden at our school, isn't it true that a very important part of teaching elementary-aged kids about growing something in the dirt is you have to let it alone? (laughs) You can't touch it. You can't mess with it. You can't dig it up, check on the seed, see how it's doing, put it back in the earth. You can't sit there and hug the little baby plant. You can't touch it a ton. Just let it alone. Man, there's so much wisdom here, especially when we were starting this church. We had a community garden for a season. Would that we would eventually get to use this land in the back in some powerful way like this again. But a giant thing of, of growing a church is to think of what's going on here like a little plot of land. And, and as one of the pastors, you know what one of my jobs is? Let alone. Make sure the, fo- the, the, the soil is good. Make sure that seeds are being planted. Make sure that as little, little things start to grow out of the ground, that we can build like little trellises and things for that plant to grow and reach its full potential. Make sure that we weed and get out of that. But get out of the way. Quit standing in the sunlight. Don't hover. I need that rain. (laughs) So there's a whole big part of the kingdom of God. It simply will grow if you let it alone. Here's number two. Embrace manure. Embrace manure. Again, this is from, this is biblical. This is from last week. When Jesus, the vine dresser, comes and says, listen, let's give this tree more time. Let's give it a grace period. Let's try and coax fruit out of this tree. What do healthy trees do? They produce fruit. So let it alone is a part of it, but, but out of love. Why does, why does the vine dresser dig around a tree and add manure? To make it smell bad? To make it miserable? No, 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 no. To help it accomplish what it's designed to accomplish. So there's a sense that... that In terms of like, how does the kingdom of God grow? We know that the kingdom of God involves manure. So we don't immediately associate and make the error that was going on in the passage Jesus addressed last week. Hey, bad stuff's happening in my life. God must not be for me. Lie. I know that Northern Californians have a hard time with this, but rain is good. I mean, honestly, to listen to our weathering, you would think that I've got some weather coming. We always have weather. What does that even mean? Rain is good. So embrace the manure that's going on. Here's number three, cooperate. It's such a powerful thing to understand (laughs) that we work with God. God. So who's the one that really teaches? It's God. Who's the one that sustains? It's God. Who's the one that provides? It's God. Who's the one that protects? Who's the one that finishes? It's God. And he invites us into that to cooperate with him. There's something really powerful. Already in what I've said, every single week there is a sense, there's an act of faith that I say, God, I believe that your word will grow this church. I believe your Holy Spirit will will be able to teach and instruct and convict and encourage all from the same passage in miraculous ways and I completely release the right to ever know the results of it. So it's an act of faith to pour energy into a sermon to preach God's word and then just let it alone and let it have its wonder-working miracle. When people feel taught, what goes on on a Sunday. I rejoice with that. Who's really teaching? It's God, but God's invited me into that. So I get to participate with God. I see this example all the time when my kids come out. Yes, this still happens. Those of you who just have teenagers, this, this used to happen to you too, but we might pull in from the store. We have kids come out and say, can we help? Can we help bring groceries in? Miracle of miracles. And I say, absolutely you can. Here, help me with this. And so I might be carrying a gallon of milk with a five-year-old, and I am carrying the gallon of milk into the refrigerator. Is my five-year-old helping me? Debatable, right? Is it more inconvenient for me to do it? Absolutely. This is harder than carrying four gallons of milk in at a time, which is what I would normally do by myself. But why am I doing this? This is producing relationship. I love this. I'm inviting my child into this. My child delights in coming and helping me do this. God doesn't need us. God wants us. I mean, this is, this is everything. This is a game changer for us in terms of looking for and cooperating with God. Here's another one. Abide. What can you do apart from the vine, branch? Absolutely nothing. You ever think that your biggest to-do at the start of a week is to abide? Remain? Remain in me, Jesus says. Don't go it alone. You know when you've gone it alone. You know why? You're frustrated. You're overworked. You're ticked off. You're not succeeding in things. It's not sustainable. A giant thing of how to to enter in and participate with the kingdom of God is simply to abide. From abiding comes all kinds of knowledge of what to do, what not to do. When to speak up, when to keep quiet. Abide, abide, abide. Here's another one. In different seasons, churches have done better at this than others. And different traditions, certain traditions do this very, very well, to watch and wait. Those of you like me, born and bred, or imported into the Silicon Valley, we're not good at at watching and waiting. Watching and waiting has this internal thing for a lot of you that we're wasting time. You might even put a religious spin on it. We're not being good stewards of our time, right? That's, that's sort of like the, the positive, like, like, let's try to be really, you know, somehow ethical about this. But watching, just read the Bible. Read the Bible, read church history, and pay attention. Watch and wait is a part of being a kingdom person. Some of you in our midst are exceptional at this. Hear me clearly. You are valued and needed in our community when you're in community group and everyone's like, well, we need to be doing this and we need to be doing that, and you have a sense in your spirit, and this, is just, this has been a strength of your walk with God, you need to speak out and say, you know what? Honestly, I think now's the time to watch and wait. I think you'll be the oddball at most churches in America if you're the watch and wait voice that speaks up. <clears throat> when you walk into a dark room and you've been in the light, how long does it take for your eyes to adjust? Who knows? But it takes time. You don't walk in there and immediately know what to do. Why? Because you have to sort of acclimate to what's going on. We train our eyes to the kingdom of God. How about our ears? It's really, really fascinating that your own parent that you may have been raised with and you haven't seen in a long time... And you walk into a place and you hear that voice that used to call you in for dinner, that used to correct you, that used to do all these different things. Good or bad, that audible voice of your parent doesn't have that trigger all kinds of things. Your ear is tuned to hear that person's voice in a very unique way. Powerful things accompany the voice of a parent. So if we train our eyes to watch and wait, if we train our ears to listen to the shepherd. Man, that's a, that's a different way of living than just going it alone and building God's kingdom for him. Two more. The next one is participate, move to action. The yeast shows that the kingdom of God grows in some invisible behind the scenes ways, but the yeast eventually has visible properties that we can see, right? Even if we can't explain it, even if we can't pick out where the yeast is, but the seed, the seed, if it's growing, we all know it. No matter how you feel about trees, your belief in who made trees, anything, you see the tree. Here's the lesson when you take a seed and yeast composite picture of what the kingdom of God is like is that as you participate in the kingdom of God, there should be some quiet, internal, very hard-to-put-in-word stuff going on in your life. And that ought to translate into visible things. It's not just Christian birds that come and make their nest in the tree. It's just there. How about the shade that it might provide to someone who's weary? Man, a shade's indiscriminate, in it's shade-giving. It's just there doing what trees do. Couldn't their fruit be robbed and taken by both good and bad? There's a sense that the kingdom of God and God's kingdom people ought to have all kinds of invisible mystical stuff that we just, we can't really put into words. If we can explain it all, doesn't it mean God's not in it? Maybe that's just a human invention. But that inner invisible permeating in and through ought to always show up at some point in some visible kinds of of ways, We're to put off the old self and put on the new. Is that invisible or visible? Both. We are incarnate beings, meaning we have a body. So take your body and go put it in places that God is present. That's what we're doing here this morning. God inhabits the praises of his people. Is there anywhere you'd rather be on Christmas Sunday than here with church family? Not for me. I would want to be worshiping with God's people a few days before Christmas. Wandering in creation, weddings and parties, funerals. Go place yourself amidst the poor. The poor is not just material poor. Relationally poor, spiritually poor, economically poor, opportunity poor. Man, place yourself there. The last one ties directly into this. And that is this pursue community. We're incarnate beings, so we gotta put our bodies where God is present. We gotta keep our bodies where God is not present and active. And if you wanna know where God is, go tune most of your attention with what God is doing and put your attention on where there's people. What's gonna last absolutely forever? It's people. How long does your favorite TV show last? Not that long. Well, mine had a good run of 10 seasons. Yeah, ask your kids about it in, in a handful of years. It'll show up. You know, it'll, just, it'll just be on the, on the dust heaps. We invest time in entertainment. We invest time in our work. We invest time in these different things. Place yourself in and around people. God is seen in the everyday joys, the temptations, and the trials that exist when you live with other people. Your people. Part of how we grow in even training our eyes and ears about what God's doing in kingdom work is being in community and pursuing that. Let me have you close your eyes for just a second. Maybe you could take just a couple of quiet moments. To ask God, God, what do you want me do, to do with what I now know, with what I'm either refreshed in knowing, because I've heard it before, or what's new to me? That your kingdom is able to be compared to a seed hidden in the ground. Your kingdom is being able to be compared with just a pinch of yeast that makes Stan's donuts. What is it, God, that you want me to do or stop doing? How is it you want me to abide afresh? Am I participating in my kingdom building or your kingdom building? I'm going to give you 30 seconds of silence right now just to sit and ponder whatever God's saying to you, and then we'll sing.